Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Synergen Group and really happy to be here to launch season two. I'm passionate about all things leadership and management. So passionate in fact that I decided to start a podcast about it and here we are in season two and my purpose for the podcast continues to be the same, to raise the standard of leadership. Today's episode, super excited about. So in today's show, I speak with Jason Cunningham. He's the Director and Head of Business Advisory of The Practice, a holistic financial services firm providing a full suite of business advisory and personal wealth advisory services across business consulting, accounting, tax, financial planning, mortgage broking, insurance and superannuation. You may actually also know him as a member of Channel 10's The Living Room and on Triple M's The Rush Hour. Now, Jason has a passion for helping business owners grow their business and get their life back. As a co-founder of the practice, he believes it takes one to grow one. And to grow a successful business, you need to surround yourself with the experts, both internally and externally. So you're freed up to operate in your genius, whether that's as a technician, a salesperson, a leader, or a visionary. He works closely with a handful of select businesses and clients on short and long-term projects, doing things such as mission, core values, why development sessions. He does training programs, does coaching and mentoring, and he also does strategic planning sessions. He's also an author, having published two books, Have Your Cake and Sell It Too, The Seven Key Ingredients of Business Success, and Where's My Money? Now, during the course of the conversation, we explore a number of different ideas. We start by looking back at Jason's early days when he started the practice and the challenges of starting a new business. We also explore some of the highs and lows of his journey, including how he and his business partner started to drift apart and what they did to reconnect. Jason's area of leadership passion is all about developing others, and he shares how he goes about that, including the importance of listening. And I finished the interview by asking Jason for any last thoughts on leadership, and he shares his perspective on diversity of thought and how that can be harnessed. So keep listening, and as always, would love to hear your thoughts about the interview with Jason Cunningham. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world, giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor and facilitator, helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. Welcome, Jason, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Thanks for having me, Julian. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, likewise. Really happy that you've uh, been able to take the time so that the listeners have a bit of an idea about who you are, who is Jason Cunningham. Wow. You just put me on the spot like that. I, I guess at the heart and soul, if you'd have stripped me all back, Julian, I'm an accountant by trade, a CPA, also known as a car parking attendant. No, no, <laughs> I know. I'm a certified practicing accountant yep. and I've been in this business for 21 years. We run a accounting and financial planning business. And in actual fact, we just celebrated our 21st birthday. It's yes. a big congratulations. Thank you. The story is that my fellow co-founder and I, we went to primary school, high school and university together. We grew up in Essendon and Essendon is a very incestuous suburb. In actual fact, my wife is my first cousin. It just sort of makes Christmas that little bit easier, you know, her family or your... No, no in all sincerity... So, yeah, Robbie and I, we went to primary school, then we went on to high school, and then we went to university. And at the end of university, we sort of went our separate ways. Uh, I worked uh, in Broadmeadows uh, at Ford Motor Company. 
and my partner Rob worked for a tax accounting firm in town. And I guess for the first four or five years, my role was really around manufacturing and cost analysis and, and really understanding from cradle to grave how to, how to design and build a car, sell it and who the customers are through the dealerships and uh, you know the dealer network and the end customer. And I guess in that last year, whilst I was working at Ford, I was I was very fortunate to go on their graduate program where they give you a lot of training and, and I was on this young finance graduate uh, leadership program and I went over to Detroit and went to the States and all that sort of stuff. But I guess there was a bit of a hole, something was missing and talking to Rob along the journey, we thought, hey, why not have a crack and start our own business? And so on the 1st of December 1997, the practice was born. And uh, I remember in that first year in business, I, I, I left a job, I was on 55 grand a year, which is a lot of money 21 years ago for a 24-year-old kid, you know. And uh, in the first year of business, we turned over $60,000 for the year, and uh, we had 11 clients, and I was earning $100 a month. <laughs> so here I was, I was in business, making no money with no idea, no experience and no clients, but teaching people how to make money and how to grow a business. And it, it was quite challenging, but as a 24-year-old kid, and I say kid now because I feel a lot older than 24, and I am, but I, I didn't have a mortgage, I wasn't married, I didn't have kids, I didn't have any dependents, so earning 100 bucks a month was okay. I'd had a bit of savings and I was playing footy, I was getting a few bucks playing footy, so that was a whole whole heap of fun. But we we bumped into our first business coach type mentor and there's a guy from, from Adelaide who implored on us the importance of being on purpose because we wanted to know how do we grow our business. And, and he, he'd say to us, boys, the key to business is understand your purpose. And by purpose, you, you really got to define who do you serve and how do you serve them. And in business, we call that a mission statement. He said, now, so go away, stop punching out tax returns and doing all that sort of stuff. And like a lot of Melburnians, we, we flew north <laughs> up to, for the winter, if you like, and we flew up to Port Douglas. And according to the tax office, we spent 14 days on our business plan. <laughs> well, we, we didn't really need the tax deduction because we weren't making any money, but I guess we had some carry forward losses. But we, we, we built a business plan and what underpinned that was our purpose. And our purpose has remained the same to this day as it was 21 years ago, and that is to help our clients achieve their business and personal goals. And we do that through proactive service and ongoing advice. You fast forward to today, and I'm still confident that 80% of our success, if you say that we're successful, and we, I guess we're reasonably successful because we've been in business 21 years, but you fast forward to today, and 80% of the reason that we're here is because of our sheer focus on who do we serve and how do we serve them. So 21 years ago, we turned over 60,000. There was two employees. Today, there are 64 employees. We turn over about 15 mil. We're making a bit more than 100 bucks each a month. Uh, and, you know, and the world looks a little bit different. Along the journey, I guess, I've typically found the challenges that you go through in life are the things that most define you. And so when I first entered into the world of an accountant or being a public practitioner, I'd never done a tax return before in my life and I didn't have much of an idea. And so I felt like I didn't really belong because at 24, my peers or my competition were 34, 44 and 54. And who are you going to go and get advice of a 24-year-old kid that's got no idea or someone that's 44 or 54 that's got a bit of experience? But there's this wonderful human being that I've never met, but I love him so much. His name's John Howard, and he changed the tax system and introduced the GST. And I thought, shit, 
here's my chance. I'm going to learn this better than anybody else. And I went to every seminar, uh, read every bit of paper on the GST, and I became this expert. And I ended up getting a job with CPA Australia. They subbed me to teach other accountants. My peers who knew more than me. Um, I taught them about the GST, and I, I got in this role to become this sort of public speaker in the in the GST space. And we, our, our business, all of a sudden, niched up to become this GST expert business. And then I was I was giving a, a talk in an auditorium, and a woman came up to me and said, "Hey, as an accountant, you tell a bit of a funny story. Maybe you'd be interested in writing a book." I said, "Oh, it's true. So, I mean." GST, I can have a bit of fun with it talking on a stage, but it's no interesting book. <laughs> but I got this other concept that I'd be interested in. And so I wrote my first book called um, Where's My Money? And it was 10 surefire ways to keep, grow and earn more money. And, and at that time when I started writing that book, I had a client who uh, became a friend of mine, a, a prominent AFL footballer who lost a bit of money gambling and all that sort of stuff. And so um, I, when I finished my book, I, it was Where's My Money by Jason Cunningham in small print, but the foreword in big print by David Schwartz and set that up on the, on the bookshelves. And I sold a lot more books because I had him on the, <laughs> uh, you know, because people thought, oh, gee, the ox, you know, David Schwartz has written a book, but in actual fact, it was me. Uh, and, then, and then from that, he, he got me a gig on his radio station. And he said to me one, one afternoon, we were having a couple of beers and, you know, I, I'm not too bad at that. And, um, and he said, Jace, I should get you on my radio station. And, and at this stage, Ox, well, his nickname is The Ox, and he, he was working on, on a sports radio station called SEN. I said, what does SEN want to do, have an accountant, when all they talk about is footy all the time? And he said, no, nah, no, nah, we'll just do it in the off-season and, you know, six to eight weeks. And that ended up lasting nine and a half years. I was on SEN for nine and a half years. And, and whilst I was doing that, I got a tap on the shoulder and got an opportunity to work in tally. And, uh, and after a few interviews, I got a job on a show called The Living Room, which is on Friday nights on Channel 10 at 7.30. And I'm, I, I've been doing that for six years now. And I appear as their, their finance expert. And then, unfortunately, David got moved on from SCN. And so I picked up a gig on Triple M with Billy Brownless and James Brayshaw on a Friday afternoon. So I, my real job is I'm an accountant and a business advisor where I help business owners grow their business and I, I try to talk based on my experience as opposed to my opinion. But one of the jobs I do for a bit of fun is I work in the media. And and I do that for two reasons. One, I get bored really easily, Julian. Yep. But the other thing is, is I think in this industry, people only do business with you for three reasons. One, they'll do business with you because they've met you and they liked you. Secondly, they'll do business with you because they've been referred to you by a trusted source. Or the third reason is that you're seen as an expert or a key person of influence, a thought leader. And so I gravitate towards that because, and that's a great way for us to grow our business. Yeah, that's a long way of saying that's who I am. Oh, look, the other, more importantly, I'm a father. I have three boys in Australia. No, no, I've got, <laughs> I've got three kids, uh, twin boys who are 16 and a, and a young son, 11. And, you know, I'm married to a beautiful woman called Angela. So that's me. You sound very busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess there's a saying in life, and that is, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. And so um, I don't really watch TV, except the living room. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, yeah, I, I like to get the most out of life, Julian. Um, yeah, and that's, that's me, I guess. And the, and the practice is a, is a vehicle to that? It enables you to get the most out of life? Yeah, I, I think so. Look, I'm a, I'm a big believer in this, this notion of, of leverage. And, you know, growing up, as a young kid, my, my folks lost everything that they had. 
uh, I was a young boy, about 11, or 10 or 11, coming home from school one one night, and my dad was at home at four o'clock, which is unusual because dad was in business. And, uh, you know, he sat us all down and told us that um, they'd lost their business, lost the house, lost the cars, lost everything. And we, we, we lost everything that we had, and we moved into our nan's house. Um, and that was pretty challenging. We were meant to be there for 12 months. We were there for six years. And I guess, you know, fortunately for, for me, mum and dad built themselves back up and went back into business. And, you know, they're doing really well now. But, you know, I guess one of the drivers is I don't want to move back into my nan's house. And so I, I, I want to become, I wanted to become financially independent, which which I have. But I also am, am encouraged by the fact that it, it, having a business that can work without me being involved, that that's a wonderful thing. Because then I have the choice whether to come or go from work. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'd like to take you back. Okay. All the way back to that very first role that you consider a leadership role. Uh-huh. Are you able to give the listeners a little bit of a context about what that role was? Yeah, I, I guess, well, in the first couple of years of business, it was just Rob and I. Um, and I, I, I guess when we started to employ team members uh, and when we started to recognize... So the way we started our business was Rob looked after his clients and I looked after my clients. Yeah. And then we hired, our first employee was Rob's brother, and then we hired another employee, uh, Aaron, who um, is one of my best friends. And then we started to build teams underneath them. And I, I guess it would probably be about 15 or 16 years ago where I, you could say that I, I was a leader in the organization. And I think back to that, and I guess different leaders behave differently, but I sort of recognized early doors that I think the most fundamental component of being a leader is your desire to serve the team that work with you. And, and I think that's important. And I, I, I tried to, I sort of flipped back, the, we're talking 15 years ago, back then, you know, there's, I'm the boss and everyone works for me. I, I sort of, you know, have that pyramid effect. I, I flipped the pyramid upside down and say, well, my role is to serve you. So, you know, I would delegate everything and then take things off people. And so I just found that if I was always available for my team, then when I expected something from them, I knew that they would jump for me. And what, what were some of the biggest learnings back then? I mean, building a business is tough, but then starting to put people in and have employees suddenly takes it to a whole other level. Yeah, it sure does. I think the first thing that, that, that comes to mind is, is there's a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, written by a guy called Dr. Stephen Covey. It was released in, I think, 1989. Um, so it's been around a long time. A lot of people have heard it. Not many people have read it. I, uh, I'm into audio books and podcasts. Um, and so I've been listening to this book a long time. One of his habits is seek first to understand another person before you expect that person to understand you. That's not necessarily his guiding principle. It's a universal guiding principle. Another people could be rephrased as you need to walk a mile in a man's shoes to understand that person, that sort of stuff. And so the first thing I recognised is that not everyone thinks like you, Jason. Hmm. Right? And I think that's important. And I think it's important to understand another person, what drives them and what motivates them because motivation comes from within. You can't motivate another person. You can, you can potentially inspire somebody, but I don't think you can motivate another person. So really... That first lesson is to understand the other person and recognize that the thought pattern or the conversations or the narrative going on in your mind's eye is more often not completely different than the ones going on in their 
mine. And if you can understand that and work out what drives that person and, and how best to communicate with that person, you're a big step on the way of getting to where you want to get to. And it's as simple as, so Rob, my partner and I, it, it, in the early days when we were making no money, business was easy. Right? <laughs> uh, it's funny, when you start to make money, it's a bit of a challenge. But one of the things that we found is we started to drift apart. Not deliberately, but just due to necessity. In the first year or two years, we had no work. We had nothing to do, so we'd just hang around together and we'd talk to people. We'd go to client meetings together because the other person had nothing to do. Right? But we then discovered that we needed to reconnect. But what we also recognised, and it took us a while, is that we both learnt differently. So typically, we, we use three, our three senses, sight, hearing, and the sense of feeling. And typically, one of those senses is more dominant. And we recognised that I was more a visual learner and Rob was more auditory. So we'd have, I'd, I'd say, I'd, we'd have conversations. I'd say, oh, have a look at this spreadsheet. And he goes, oh, I can't hear what you're saying. Or he'd talk to me about this concept. I go, I can't see what you mean. And so now, we, we, it took us a while, but we recognised that if I wanted Rob to agree to something or if I wanted him to buy into a concept, I'd say, mate, let's go for a walk and I'd have a conversation with him. And if he wanted me to buy into something, he'd put a spreadsheet under my nose and go, yeah, that's awesome, let's do it, you know? <laughs> and so it, 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 that's, I think that's sort of linked to understand that person and understand the way they learn and the way they want to be communicated with. Uh, you know, I go back to Covey, I hate to keep quoting him, but I go back to Covey and Covey talks about seven habits of highly effective people. And he says, the one thing you can't be effective with are relationships. You know, he says, you know, ever had a tough conversation with your wife or uh, or your significant other and you try to do that, you try to truncate that and do that in two minutes and how did that go? When you and I both know that <laughs> that doesn't work. So, yeah, relationships and spending time with each other and understanding that other person I think is, you know, pretty important. Was there an actual uh, uh, an event, something happened which made you realize, hold on a minute, we're speaking completely different language. Was there was an incident or was there something that you can put your finger on? Now, I, I don't think there was a specific incident, but I, I think there was just occasions where, you know, it just kept happening more and more that we just weren't seeing eye to eye or hearing ear to ear, according <laughs> to Rob. <laughs> okay. So you, you started to build the team. Yep. Uh, you've realized that Rob and yourself uh, have, have got some differences in terms of how you learn. Mm-hmm. What, what were sort of the really big takeaways from, from, from that sort of uh, time then? In the early days of building the yeah. team. Uh, so when I graduated for uni, I, so I met my wife at uni. Uh, her name's Angela and uh, she got a job at KPMG, which, you know, big tier one yep. accounting firm. And uh, she would say to me all the time, Jay, you've got to hire the best people. And I would say, Ange, you don't understand. I, I can't afford the best people. And she would say, how can you afford not to have the best people? And I said, well, how do I attract them? You know, this is, and, you know, sometimes us boys, we need to hear it a few times uh, from the fairer sex. And, and it, it, it dawned on me, the moment I hire people with skills stronger than me and I hire the very best people, my world became a lot easier. I thought, hang on a minute, there's something in this, Ange. <laughs> and so I, I, I then I then sort of, my role took a, a different sort of path in the sense that I, I wanted to be responsible for the culture or the environment in our organisation. And so we, we established some core values 
of what we thought were really important behavioural traits to exhibit to be part of our team at the practice. And they were, we absolutely care about our clients and our team members. We work ethically and with integrity. Thirdly, we, we like to have a bit of fun when we're at work. I know that's dangerous for an accountant to say, I like to have fun. But by having fun, what I mean by that is we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take the work that we do real seriously. And we like to enjoy the company that we keep. So we've got a bit of a no dickhead policy. No, no dickhead team members, <laughs> no dickhead clients. And the fourth one is that we're really passionate and we're committed about what we do at the practice. And so embedding those core values within our organisation and then creating an environment that's not only conducive enough to attract key team members into our organisation, but also adhesive enough to hold on to them, right? And then I got onto this whole culture thing and this environment thing, and I thought, you know what? Wouldn't it be great to be that organisation where people are queued up that they want to go and work there? In AFL circles, we call it a destination club. You know, we want it to be like a, a destination place of work. And then I, the more I got into it and the more time we spent on it, all of a sudden, <laughs> one could say by osmosis, but in actual fact, we started to attract all this talent. And then... There's one thing to attract talent, then you've got you to you look after them. And so some people say, I just pay them more. Well, yeah, that's, that's one thing. But in actual fact, what you pay people is not necessarily the number one driver. If you can create an environment where your team know exactly what is expected of them and they have the tools and resources at their disposal to be the very best that they can be and you actually recognise that, then you're a long way down the track. And so... Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that we do and we do really well in our organisation. Okay. So is that what you see yourself now in terms of your role in the practice? Is that you're responsible for the culture, that you're responsible for the values? Is that is that where you see your role? I, I've broken my role down into four key parts. So from a before I get into that, from a functionality perspective, um, so our business is centered around our mission statement to help our clients achieve their business and personal goals by being proactive and having an ongoing relationship. That's our purpose. If you take the services, business and personal. I am the head of business advisory and I have a team that, uh, that directly reports to me of 31 or 32 people. My partner Rob heads up personal wealth advisory and then we have an operations team and we have a team in Sydney. So functionally, I look after business advisory. But the second role is that I am a shareholder and a board member of this organisation. But then thirdly, my day-to-day activity is broken down into four key parts. Leadership, growth, protection, and space. And this is my new one, space. Right, <laughs> right, okay. right, this is my new one. So I used to think business was all about leadership and growth. Yep. And then I had an incident in my business that I recognised that I needed to add protection in there. You've got to protect the brand. You've got to protect the stakeholders. The stakeholders aren't just the shareholders. They're your customers. They're your team members. They're your suppliers. And they're the shareholders. You've got to do that. But this space thing is this new thing that I'm on, Jules. Okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great thing. And what I mean by space is having the time to deal with whatever pops up. Because I used to run this real busy world where I was working on radio, on telly, public speaking, doing stuff with clients, strategy, all this sort of stuff. I'd run from A to B to C to D and I'd, I'd 
get, I used to believe in this, and I still believe in this notion of time blocking. So you've got to block time in your diary to get it done. And so if it's not in my diary, I won't do it. But then I recognized that I was going back to back to back to back to back, and I never had any time for things that pop up. Now, you're not going to believe this. I'm 45 years old now, and I've recognized that sometimes, more often than not, things don't go according to plan. <laughs> right? So you've got to have that space. And so I now, I budget for space. And people go, what do you do in space? And I, I answer it this way. I go, I do stuff. And they go, what stuff? And I go, you know stuff. Stuff is anything from um, going through emails, uh, walking around the office, spending quality time with team members, grabbing a team member, bringing them into a, a meeting, giving people your time. Because my, my guys, our team, understand how busy I am, right? And that's not because I'm important or anything like that. It's just the nature of the beast. If you're a really busy person and then you give somebody your time, man, they really value that. But also, when you've got space, time, and a clear head, the shit that you can work out, it's outstanding stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. There's, it's, there's a whole lot, of, whole lot of work being done at the moment in, in the sort of the leadership space where I play, mm. and they're talking about the ability to focus. Mm. and our attention spans are getting shorter mm. and there's a challenge that one of the guys I follow has put out and he calls it a 40 minute focus finder right. he says imagine put yourself in a, a room like we are now mm. but no tech just a pencil and a, and a piece of paper so no phones no interruptions no laptops no anything Yeah. what would you do with that time and you start thinking about it and you almost think well I don't know what I'd do with that time because I haven't had that mm. amount of time to actually mm. think mm. so there's a lot of people realising and there's uh, another book by a guy called Cal Newport and mm-hmm. it's called Deep Work Yeah, and it's all about thinking and uh, how you do your best stuff when you have that space yeah. to think and that's as business owners that's what we need Yeah, absolutely. time to think yeah. and as a leader as well there's so much to think about because if you're leading a team of 30 that's a lot of people to look after that's right mm. yeah that's right um, I, I think also space talks to having regular holidays yeah so I talk to business owners every day, um, and and when I when I do my talks, um, so I wrote a, a, another book called "Have Your Cake and Sell It Too," which is the seven key ingredients to business success, and that's all uh, that's all written on the on the basis that I believe business owners should begin with the end in mind and work backwards. And what I mean by begin with the end in mind is build a business that's ready for sale. So if I, I'll get up on a stage and I have a group of two hundred business owners in the room, and the first question. I ask him is, tell me, why did you go into business? And, and typically it's pretty quiet because I don't expect the speaker to ask the audience one minute in. But And that's when I do that quick tech uh, check to see if it's a live audience or not. right? <laughs> and, then, and then someone courageous will start me off and say, oh, look, you know, I, I, I wanted to leave my own stamp on the world or my old boss, I didn't like him, I didn't like her and I, I wanted to do things my way, I thought I could do it better. Some people go, oh, look, I got made redundant. I just fell into business. And someone goes, oh, I want to make more money, right? And then we start to get into the honest answers, right? And as we go through the answers, people say, oh, you know what? I wanted to spend more time with my friends and family. I, I, I wanted to take Fridays off. I want to take Wednesday afternoons off and play golf. I, I wanted to make sure I took my daughter to ballet uh, or gymnastics lessons. Or I wanted to take eight weeks off every year 
uh, and travel Europe. And, and my follow-up question is, and how's that working out for you, right? And people go, garbage, right? Because we, we get into this world, we fall into being business owners, we work all the time, and we're busy doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. We don't stop and just, as again, Covey, obviously, you know that I, you can tell that I, I, I love this guy, well, he's no longer with us, but we don't sharpen the saw. So I'm really big on having time off uh, and having, you know, every 13 weeks, I need to have a break. That break could just be five days or it could be two weeks, but I just need to, I need to shut it down. Because I, I go intense, and this is how I work, is I go pretty intense and I need to shut it down. And now, I don't even go hard for 13 weeks. I'm like, if I go hard for two weeks, that third week, I'm gonna make sure that I take it easy that week. You know, finish at three o'clock, a couple of days a week, whatever, just to give myself the opportunity to recharge and to give myself space. And different people operate, you know, on different wavelengths. I find um, going for a walk on a Saturday morning, which I do every Saturday with my wife, I find that's a real great time for us to connect, but also gives me a bit of time to just take it easy. I'm not walking for exercise. I'm walking um, to spend time with my wife and just to enjoy the day. And the amount of stuff that I come up with just in my head on those walks is amazing. And I don't mean to. And I go, oh my God, that is awesome. I better write that down in my phone. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Hmm. I think you're onto something with a space. Maybe that's another book for you. I'm thinking about About it. About the space. Yeah. After I wrote the first book, I go, I'm never doing this again. (laughs) And then I wrote another book. I go, I'm never doing this again. And now I'm thinking... Maybe it's time. It's like when you have kids, you know. You expect any woman that's given birth, she goes, I'll never do that again. And then they forget about it and they go it again. Now, I, I'm not saying writing a book is anywhere near having a child. Uh, but my first book did take nine months to write, you know. Yeah, so there's yeah. some sort of correlation there. <laughs> so um, I'd like to explore uh, some of your, your, your views on leadership now. We've got a bit of a sense of who you are. What, what do you think the biggest leadership myth is that you've come across in your time in business? Biggest leadership myth. That is a tough question, but if I could answer it this way, there are people in leadership roles that are not leaders. They just have the title. Uh, And there are a whole heap of people in your organisation. We refer to our team as team members. We don't have any staff or employees. We prefer to refer them as team members that are actual leaders but we don't recognize that, but they are leading a team and we don't even know what they're doing. And they could be leading them the right way or the wrong way. Now, I've often said that business owners can take a leaf out of professional sporting clubs. I'm a fan of the AFL. So whether it's the AFL, NRL, whether it's NBA, NFL, basketball, netball, take an elite sporting team. A great book on business, entrepreneurship and leadership is a book called Legacy, written by James Kerr. It's written about the New Zealand All Blacks. And I employ anybody and everybody after they've read Have Your Cake and Sell It to <laughs> <laughs> I, I, It's a great book. Right? It's an awesome book, even if you know nothing about rugby union. Right? And the book has so many inferences, inferences that we can use in business. Um, so I just got off topic there, but I'll go back to sporting teams. And they do this in the All Blacks, but if you take the AFL system, at the end of a pre-season, what happens is the players get together and they select their leadership group. And then 
the leadership group is a, is a group of leaders within the team that have been selected by their peers, once ticked off by the coaches and the heads, to be the leadership group. And the leadership group often in sporting teams are charged with responsibilities of pulling other players into line, setting the code of conduct, the core values and the behavioural uh, the behaviours that they demand from each other. And so answering your question about leadership myth, it's not just the owners that are the leaders in the organisation. There are other leaders in there in your organisation. I think it's good to anoint them as leaders within your organisation um, and then that way you can have some influence on the type of leadership traits that they're setting their team members. So. One of the things we did in our business is we have an ELT, Emerging Leaders Team. Yep. And we, you know, Survey Monkey or whatever, we got all our guys to vote on it and we sort of ratify it. But we've got a group of leaders within our business. Some have been in our organisation for only six months. Some are second, third year graduates. Some are associate directors or whatever. But we've got quite a, a broad, diverse group that are, have the responsibility of being in our Emerging Leaders Team. And the main responsibility that they're charged with, well, there's two parts. Number one, ensuring that our core values are disseminated through our organisation to help build our culture. And secondly, to help roll out the strategy that we as business owners set for our organisation. When their peers are sharing with them the vision and the direction of the business and the behaviours that we want them to exhibit, that has so much more cut through than when Big Boss Man does it. You got me? Absolutely. So I reckon that's a big one. Some real, impl- I just think in some of the clients that we work with, mm. that, that sort of idea, because one of the things that large industrials struggle with is getting that values, having the take up of the people. It's all just seen as a top down push. That's right. As opposed to let's get involved. Yeah. That's why we jumped on it. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. What dawned on me, I, I love the AFL. I worked at SEN for nine and a half years. So I've Who talked, do you follow? I'm a bomber, Essendon oh. supporter. We've had some challenges, <laughs> uh, no doubt. And I, I'm aware you're a Carlton supporter. You, you'll be right in about 15 years. No, no, no. no, no they, look, I, I know one of the coaches there. I used to play footy with him. And, you know, they're, they're looking all right. They're looking a lot better than a lot of people think. Fingers crossed. Yeah, good luck. There's always hope. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, the AFL system has always had, um, you know, these uh, leadership groups. Hawthorne do it really well. I've done some work with Hawthorne. They, they do it really well. In in the book Legacy, it speaks about a, a couple of young boys that went out on the source um, and they shouldn't have and they mucked up. And rather than the coaches coming down on them or the director of footy or whatever, they had to sit in front of their peers, the leadership group, and tell their version of events. And they were handed out a discipline from their peers. That's tough. That's tough stuff. And has a lot greater cut through, if you ask me, than you know, the boss. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Yeah. So, how do you describe yourself as a leader? Yeah, that's a good question. I, uh, well, I believe that I exhibit. No, I'll take that back. I, I know that I exhibit the characteristics or the core values of our organisation. I know that I absolutely care about our team members and about our clients. I'm well aware of that. I know that I operate with integrity and I'm ethical um, and I, uh, I lead 
when I communicate with a new customer, if they don't get value from what it is that we do, I ask them to simply allow me to give them their money back. Um, I know that I like to have fun. I don't take myself too seriously, but I definitely take the work that I do really seriously. And I know that I'm really passionate and I'm committed. So I try to lead by example in that sense. I, I also see myself um, as a person that serves my team and irrespective of what role you play in our organisation, that role is very important. So um, I, I'm more than comfortable to do whatever it takes to get the job done and I, and I also strive to be the very best that I can be. Um, I try to operate with humility. Um, because I work on tally and stuff like that or you know, I've got a reasonable profile in our industry, people might not agree with that, but I, I shy away from that sort of stuff. But above all else, I think the most important trait that I try to exude in my behaviour is the notion of authenticity. And I think that's been a little bit lost in the last five to ten years, and uh, particularly as social media becomes more prevalent. Um, and what I mean by authenticity and why social media is masking that is everyone's filtering this and filtering that. You'll only ever see good things put on social media. Look how good I look. Look what we did. Look at this wonderful holiday I'm having. Look at this wonderful relationship I'm in. And yet, when as an accountant, you get to see behind the scenes of everything. And I think being authentic, being raw, and doing what you say you're going to do, man, you do that, people love you for it. And when you don't, you say, I'm sorry, I forgot, I didn't do that, or I made a mistake. People love that. I think that's been lost, Jules. I honestly think, and I think it's time for authenticity to rise to the surface again. You know, And I think that, that type of approach is going to attract a certain type of person as well. Absolutely, the talent you were talking about. I think it does. But if you look at, if you look at our politicians, and the way they behave, right, and and what they say, we don't believe a word that they say, irrespective right, left side, whatever. We don't believe a word they say. You have a look at the biggest church in this country and what they've been saying, and we're just we're just appalled, right? Um, No one watches the news anymore because it's crap. Current affair programs are rubbish. Let's get back to authenticity, you know, and, and being being raw and being honest and take the filters away. So you mentioned Covey a couple of times. Yeah, love him. Never met him. Are there any other frameworks or models which you're a big fan of that you use in your role as a leader? Because I think models and frameworks are a necessary part. I think they make our lives easier as leaders. Mm-hmm. Are there any that resonate with you? I, I always try to surround myself with people that can um, that I can learn from. And, um, and so whether I've met them or not, whether it's just through my earphones or, or whether it's you know, some words that I read on a piece of paper, I, 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 was, I got pretty excited about a guy called Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, okay. Yeah, and I, I think he's, he's half mad, which I think that's awesome. And, but he, he's got a saying, he's got his three rules for his life and they are, number one, absolutely love your family. Right. Distant second is do what you love, and third, work your ass off. Right now, he had the F word in there, but I'll probably keep that out there. Uh, but everyone, you know, and he reckons that if you love your family, do what you love, then you're not really working that hard. So I, I like that, and I thought, you know, I'm going to adopt that in in my way of thinking. I, I think that's pretty pretty cool sort of way of thinking. 
The other big thing is, and, and we spoke prior to this podcast, is that I lost my mum this year, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm a dad. And dads, you know, we're all right. We come and go. But mums, man, they're the best. Mums are the best. They sacrifice so much. And, you know, I'm really sad that I lost my mum. And it was a really tough time for me and my family. And and still, you know, it's really raw and it's really close. And it's coming up to Christmas now. And it's it's a tough time for us. But I, I, I look for the legacy that my mother uh, has left for, for me. And, and f- what my mum shared with me is, Jason, there's beauty in everything, you know? And so... I always try and see the good in everything. And the good in everything might be, what's the lesson that I've learned here where I can do things differently? But I can only do that when I've got the space. You got me? Yep. So if you've had this event that hasn't gone to plan, which as a business owner, that happens daily, often hourly, but you've got no space to deal with it, then you're going to get frustrated. But when you have the space to breathe through it, then typically you'll find the good in it. Mm. My mum gave me that. She's a champion. Words of wisdom. Mm. Words of wisdom. So what's your biggest challenge right now from a leadership perspective? Biggest challenge right now is understanding the line between empowering team members to be the very best that they can be and create an environment that works in sync with our organization and taking the piss. So what do I mean by that? Uh, So we have a work from home policy. Uh, We have a choose your own hours policy. There's also a taking the piss factor, right? And it's, it's about dog wagging tail as opposed to tail wagging dog. It's very gray and it's, and it's challenging. And yeah, I think back to when I first started at Ford Motor Company, I, I, I was employed there in 1993. And the Australia was just going through a mini recession and the old president was a guy called Jack Nasser and they used to call him Jack the Knife. In two years, he reduced the workforce from 15,000 to 7,500. And what that meant was that people were working 10, 12 hour days, not eight hour days. And if you didn't like it, see you later. We'll get someone else in because there was a queue a mile long. It's an employer's market now, uh, and so therefore we need to be providing our team members that environment that enables them to achieve what it is that they want and the whole work-life balance. But I still think that there's that element of taking the piss, hmm. and you got to you got to just you got to navigate through that. That's my biggest challenge. And and how do you navigate through that? There's a saying: it's better to have a thousand enemies outside the tent than one in the tent, right? So I make sure that first my leadership group that I work with, um, we're all on the same page. What on the same page in my definition doesn't mean that we all agree with each other, but it means we agree with the strategy of where we're going and how we're going to execute on that. We agree with that. We don't always have to reach consensus on a decision, but when the decision is made at the table, inside the tent, when we go outside the tent, we all conform with the decision and I like to keep those guys close to me and my role is to serve them not for them to serve me hmm. so I give them the opportunity to be the very best that they can be and how can I help you with that so what would you describe as because leadership's a big a big term yeah it's a big term you, you, you could bang on about for ages what 
If I had to ask you what your passion was within the leadership space, what would it be? Developing other leaders. Developing other leaders, absolutely. I've had no greater pride than seeing some of my team members really step up and become the people that they've become. And it, and it brings a smile to my face. And it makes me proud. I got some team members in our organisation, you know, one of our guys who has become a, a partner in our business started as a graduate 15 years ago, right? Started as a kid. I got a, a, another young girl who's an associate director, so she's, you know, one step away from becoming a director and a partner in our business. Started as a graduate. That's awesome. I got a guy, I spoke to you about him earlier, when he was one of my first hires four years ago. He left our business. He'd been with us for, I don't know, 16, 17 years he was been with us. He's coming back in January. You know, what a great story that is. He left, went away for four years and said, hey, I want to come back, you know. That stuff, man, that makes me feel really good. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a common universal principle. The more you give, the more you get. The more you put into something, the more that comes out of it. The more you serve, the more comes back to you. And yeah, I, yeah that's the biggest thing for me. So how do you go about developing these leaders? What do, what do you do to get them to that level? First, it's important to ask them or get them to understand where do they want to get to. Some people become accidental leaders, right? Because they, they don't think they're up to it. So I think it's important to instill the confidence in your team. And sometimes you've got to push them a bit further than they want to be pushed, right? Uh, I'm very wary of the Peter principle that people typically get promoted to their own level of incompetence, and I'm, I, I'm aware of that. Um, but there are some people, like there's a young girl, Caitlin, who's an associate director in our organisation. Uh, and as, as I mentioned, she's been with us, I think, 13 years. And I, I, I have a really strong friendship with this young woman. Um, I helped her buy her first house. I'm friends. I went to her 30th. I went to her 21st and her 30th. I'm friends with her parents, you know. Uh, and her mum had to talk her out of becoming a hairdresser to become an accountant. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a hairdresser, right? Nothing wrong at all. But she became an accountant. She didn't know if she was good enough to be a CPA. I, I sort of encouraged her, some would say forced her to become a CPA, and she did that and, and then stepped into management, then a senior manager, now an associate director. So... I think you've got to know when to push. I think you've also... I think it's important to create an environment where it's safe to be vulnerable. Um, And and if the environment, if it is safe to be vulnerable, that then really promotes the authenticity piece. And then if your relationship is authentic, that's where the honest conversations flow. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. So do you do you highlight the talent that you want to focus your development attention on? I mean, do you think when someone comes in, I think that person's might be someone I'm going to put a bit of attention to or do you wait for people to demonstrate a little bit? Yeah, I, yeah I do. So I, I hold off a bit. Typically, you know, I'll, I'll leave you go for a while. Um, I think that's important just to see whether... I'll let the organisation work out whether or not you're going to fit culturally. Mm. Um, and the organisation does do that, which is great. And then if the time's right and I'm the right person to mentor that person, I will. We're fortunate now with a team the size of ours, we have an HR manager and I I can't implore the importance of having HR um, within your business. And so she helps create leadership development plans for our team. 
we take our performance review process really seriously. There shouldn't be any surprises come performance review time. We, we need to have conversations with our team regularly. Um, so it's, it's part process driven and I think process is really important because without the process sometimes things get forgotten because things happen in our worlds. So if the process, that then forces it to be followed and then it's about the application from the individual. Has it ever gone wrong? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> no, no, business is easy. I get this shit right all the time. No. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it has. Um, yeah, it has and that's life, isn't it? Mm. You know, we've had some great talent that we haven't been able to hold on to. I'm proud of the fact that we've had nine businesses spawn out of ours. So nine people over 21 years have started their own business. Wow. I'm really proud of that. Yeah. Um, I make mention in my commentary with somebody who's looking to leave to start their own business that I that I wish them all the very best in starting their own business, but it's important that they do that. And what I mean by that is that they start their own business. They don't take my business and start it somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. So that's really important. Um, and out of nine times, that's only happened once. And unfortunately, in those situations, you need to stand really strong and hit that person really hard. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we had to do that. Uh, not physically, obviously, but just through the, the correct processes and the, and the legal system. And, and, and that hasn't happened since and won't happen again. But yeah, there are times where we've just lucked out. People need time, Julian. Everyone wants your time and your attention and it's about ensuring that you dedicate that time to the right people in your business and sometimes you get it wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to know about the future. So what does the, the future hold for the practice and what does the future hold for you? So long term, for me personally, I, I my career ambition is to be a primary school teacher that's my career ambition right yeah okay. uh it pays no money yep so i will do that when i sell my business whenever that day may be so when you talk about the vision for me it's all about building a business with a view to sell it the irony is if you're building a business with a view to sell it and if that business is ready for sale right now what does it look like well it's highly profitable got amazing cash flow a wonderful team, customers that come back over and over and over again, and you're not tied to your business. You can come and go as you please. And someone will write you a dirty big check and say, hey, can I have that business? Can I take it off you? The irony is once you get to a business like that, you don't really want to sell it, right? <laughs> and so I may never ever sell my business. I may, I may not. I'm not hard and fast on that. But I do want a business that is ready for sale so that I got the choice. But it may be that I might retire from my role and someone else, and I might just be a shareholder in this business, and that's when I will venture into becoming a school teacher. Uh, and because I love kids, and I think you can make a profound impact on people's lives by giving them some attention. And and I, I just know that everyone learns differently, and you know, for the most part, we've all got the, the right intentions. So that that's me personally. Um, I want to, I want to. My kids are at a stage now where the twins are learning to drive and I'm going to blink and they're going to be 18 and then my little bloke's going to be growing up. So I want to spend as much time as I can with them, quality time, but not too much. I don't want to you know, be dagging all over them and stuff like that. I want to, I want to make sure that my, my world is not just work and not just family. I, I want to, I st I'm still a big kid at heart and I, 
I still enjoy the company of my friends and I want to make sure that we continually do that. Particularly if you're, my, my wife is a stay-at-home mum and, and, and I'm the breadwinner in our family. Um, you can fall into the trap of just working, 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 working and then family and then gym sometimes. So I, I, I regiment that I catch up with different groups of friends periodically and that, that's fun. Um, and yeah, I, I've, Rob and I have always said that the, the next stage in our business, we've, we've brought our business so far, it's our next generation of leaders that are going to take us to the next stage. And I, I'm, I'm excited about um, giving them a leg up to do that and see what they can do with the, with the organisation. That, that excites me. Okay. Okay. Which really gets back to your passion, which is the developing people. Yeah, so absolutely. Building yeah. people who can do that for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. So in doing all that, what's going to get in your way? Well, in light of recent events and losing my mum, you know, health is an issue. So that's why being on top of my health is very important to me. Um, so that may get in the road. Other than that, I can't see anything getting in the road. I I hope that doesn't come across as arrogant or or ignorant. I just think that where there's a will, there's a way. And um, we've had some really big challenges in our business, you know? Um, But if you can see the challenge, it's where I put my accounting hat on. You've got to be across the the numbers and you've got to be across the non-financial indicators of your organisation. And if you're on top of that and if you're taking time out to look at your business or, or sit on top of your business rather than being caught inside it all the time. If you're doing that and then having the conversations that you need to have with the people that you need to have and you're prepared to do the things and lead by example, I think that there, there will be hiccups. The world will change, you know. Um, the market, you know, I look at the financial services market that I'm in at the moment and you know, December last year, the Governor-General introduced or announced that there was going to be a Royal Commission into the financial services industry. That, that's had a massive cascading effect on not just financial services, um, it, it's impacting real estate agents now because people are really struggling to borrow money because the banks have tightened up and there's all this sort of stuff. Man, I see that as an opportunity. You know, how can we jump on that? How can we capitalise with that? So I, I don't know other than health. But you know what? As a business owner... Your health is the last thing that you look at. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always curious about the different industry sectors that I, I get the privilege of talking to people in. Uh-huh. What, 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 what's going to hit your industry that's going to be, make, that's going to, what's going to change things? What do you need to prepare for? Our industry is a funny industry. At the heart of what it is that we do, we, we right at the core, is that we lodge tax returns for people. More often than not, our customers see no value in the lodgement of the tax return. In actual fact, you can do it yourself. But it's everything that comes off that is where our customers see the value. But I know deep down that that's the core of our organisation. Thankfully for me, the government forces everyone to lodge a tax return, (laughs) right? And so I have that luxury. Technology's been playing a big part in our industry, cloud-based record-keeping, it's huge. Um, there's a little company called Zero XERO that have... We use them. Yeah. They've just announced their one millionth subscriber in Australia. So they're flying along. But MYB are doing the same thing. They have a Myob Live program, um, Intuit, Quicken. All the, so technology plays a big part. I, I think there's an inherent danger in a lot of businesses like mine that, that 
operate their business on the back of that technology. The technology is a means to an end. Um, there was a big push to offshore a lot of work. We didn't go down that path. What we want to do is we, we want to lead and create efficiencies in our organisation by tapping in to the effective use of technology. And most of us only go, you know, 5 10% deep on technology. The deeper you go and the more adaptable you can become to technology and, and use that to your benefit, I think that's important. I think the younger generation are, are doing things themselves. Um, and so our industry, the processing of work, which arguably could have been seen as valuable 10 years ago, is of no value today. So you've got to be streamlining your processes so that when you process or compile... or See, we believe this is a strange thing. I reckon about 97, maybe 98% of our clients have the ability to add shit up. Right? <laughs> so we, we don't hang out and go, hey, we can add stuff up for you. That's just a means to an end. It's, it's, it's the advice that we give them based on the numbers and the non-financial indicators that pop out where our customers really see the value. And then finally, communication. I, I, communication in today's day and age where most people text people uh, rather than ring them. I still think when it's business to business, yeah, text has a, has a place, um, social media has a place, but having conversations with people, having the time to listen to what it is people are trying to work out and what it is they're trying to achieve, our role really as the custodian of the financial data is to help them navigate through the challenges that they're facing, they know the answer, they just can't see it yet. And I, I think that's a big thing for us. Okay. Any last words on leadership that you want to share with the listeners? The Japanese refer to the term as Kaizen, or Kaizen, depends on what side of the Mooney Ponds Creek you grew up on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this whole continuous improvement piece, right? And, and, I, and I think you should never stop learning. Uh, and you should never stop developing. Um, and and the, there's so much information out there and different leaders will come and go and you might see somebody in the way they communicate. Like I, I spoke about Gary Vaynerchuk earlier. Some people find him really offensive because he swears a lot. Mm. Well, who cares about that? Just just put a filter on that. Don't worry about that. He's got some nuggets that are, that are really awesome. Now, I, I, I couldn't operate like he does. I reckon he sleeps about three and a half hours a night. That doesn't work for me. But I know that there's some couple of things that I want to take from him yeah. that I think, man, that's pretty awesome. We, we have guiding principles in our organisation that we've pinched from various different universal uh, principles. And one of those is that not only do we recognise that we're all different, but we celebrate the diversity that exists among us. And so what, I mean, what we mean by that is that we celebrate the fact that you see the world through a different lens than I do. And I know that there's 25 and a half million people in Australia. And I know most of them don't see the world I do. So I'm open to seeing the world that you do because what can I learn from that? And I think as leaders, that's really important. But also just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's true. And so it's that ability to source someone else's opinion and then relate it back to where you're heading and work out whether that can add or not add value and then communicate with conviction I think that's important well on that note Jason Cunningham thank you so much for being on the Synergy and Leadership Podcast man it's been a delight thanks for having me Julian 
Well, that wraps up episode 51 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. And if there's anyone that you think would make a great guest for the show, please reach out and uh, do let me know. And as always, would really love to hear what you think. So head on over to our website, uh, connect with us and let us know what you're thinking of the, the podcast so far. In next week's episode, I speak with Jen Jackson, who is the author of How to Speak Human, a practical guide to getting the best from the humans you work with. It's another great interview with a really fantastic author. So make sure you check out that one. So until next time, happy listening.